How are you this morning? Are you doing well? Yes, good. The flu is done with you? Are you done with it? Both. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I still have a little residue of uh, that flu. No more flu, but some residue. And uh, it is uh, not that much fun, that stuff. Um, <clears throat> well, this is December the 31st, 2017. Tomorrow is 2018. January 1st. And I am sure that you have some ideas of how you want to change things in 2018 versus 2017, for example. Some people call them resolutions, and it may not be a resolution per se, but it might just be a thought or uh, an idea or a desire, but not necessarily a resolution. A resolution, even though you don't keep them, a resolution is a little bit stronger. I resolve to do this. A resolution. Um, so, uh, before you make a resolution, think about, because you need to be, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay, right? Yeah. So, yes. So, when you make a resolution, just tell me, well, I had this idea, Pastor, instead of telling call it a resolution. <clears throat> um, one of my resolutions for 2018 for sure will be, to walk a little bit more closely to the Lord than I did in 2017. Or maybe a lot closer. Uh, yes. It, and and I, it, my desire is to walk a lot closer. But I know that I'm made of flesh. And the flesh is strong. And sometimes the flesh hampers in, in these areas. But this is the very thing I want to talk about this morning. <clears throat> We're going to talk this morning about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And of course you find that in Galatians, the fifth chapter... We'll get that in just a little bit, and we'll read through it. But first, let me make a few comments here concerning the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> For us to have a, a real appreciation of the fruit of the Spirit, we must have also a knowledge of what the contrary thing of that is, so that we can really appreciate the, the fruit of the Spirit. The contrary thing to the fruit of the Spirit is what you might call the fruit of the flesh, but the scriptures don't talk about the fruit of the flesh. The scriptures talk about the works of the flesh. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But I want to uh, bring to your attention that uh, before you were a believer, before you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you had basically one enemy or opponent. You were not a believer, so you were at odd with God. You didn't believe in Him, cursed His name many times, told dirty jokes about Him, stomped on Him by way of your thinking or your actions, had your fist in His face, or whatever. <clears throat> and your friends were your flesh, the world, and Satan and his cronies. They loved you. Uh, and they used their power within your flesh to accomplish some of the things that they want to accomplish. And the things they want to accomplish are always about death and devastation, defeat, and these type of things. Yes? Are we on the same page? 
Okay. What I want you to know, though, because we have mostly believers in this group, if not all believers, uh, is that when you became a believer, those friends instantaneously became your enemies. The flesh doesn't like what you did. The world doesn't like what you did. And certainly Satan and his cronies didn't like what you did. And they will oppose you in every way. Every corner, every step of the way. So, if people think that the Christian life is just a life of ease, it is easy to do, don't worry about it. You know, you have the power of God, and you do. Uh, but we also have to deal with the flesh that is always contrary to God. So we have a battle. So we have a battle, a three-way battle, that is to say, against three opponents. One is your very own flesh, which always leads you away from God, which always has, it's called the, the, the sinful nature, the flesh. Your lower nature, it is, it is that thing that causes you to do things that are contrary to the will of God, your flesh. And then you have the influence of the world, which is always contrary to God. The Bible says so. And then you have Satan and his cronies, and they are always contrary to God. He is the one force that uh, will do whatever he can for your demise. It's just, I'm just telling you the facts. But what they say in battle is that if you know your opponents and you know their tactics, you are ahead of the ball game. So I want you to know your opponents. I can tell you all his, their tactics this morning because we don't have time. But I just want you to know these are your opponents, the ones that, that you're fighting against, and it is not easy. Uh, just this morning, Lynn was saying that the death rate, you would call it? Okay, life expectancy. Okay, the opposite of it. So, the, the, you know, you have death and you have life. Okay, the life expectancy in the United States, for the first time in, in many, many, many years, the last two years has gone down. So, people live shorter time than they used to for the last two years. And it is primarily, Why? Because of the opioid epidemic. Opioid epidemic is what causes the life expectancy in America, America, to go down. People live shorter lives than they used to. Because, and now, let me ask you this then. Who do you think is behind this opioid epidemic by a mile. And then he uses other, other instruments, other vehicles, to, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And good people, this is not bad people, this is not people that have bad intentions and just are out to do evil and just want to kill people. These are, these are good people. But they get taken by an opioid that has such an influence on them that they cannot resist it. 
maybe later on in the message, I might address this just a little bit. Because the scripture, I want to say in verse 24, maybe gives us the opportunity to, to dig a little bit deeper in this. So I can give you maybe a little bit of wherewithal if someone that you know, someone that maybe you're close to, is in this opioid mess, then um, uh, I want you to know uh, uh, what God has for you. So, um, the flesh, that's why in Galatians, the fifth chapter, Paul is addressing one of our enemies, the flesh. Our lower nature. And he says that the flesh, your flesh, my flesh, is always contrary and opposed to the spirit. The spirit of God within you, your flesh is always diametrically opposed to the spirit. We read it in just a little bit. Let me just uh, 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 give you a little bit of a build up here and a, and a, and a foundation. Um, always. They are contrary to one another, one translation says. They are opposed to one another. They are antagonistic toward one another. When the Spirit of God wants you to go there, the flesh wants you to go there. If the flesh wants you to go there, the Spirit of God says, no, 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 there. Because the flesh is always in the opposite direction of the Spirit. It is not like the flesh is going to Take you along the lines of the Spirit. So, so let me, let us read together a little bit uh, on Galatians, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 17. And we'll read together through 25, and then we'll talk about that a little bit. All right? So here we say, like I told you, for the flesh lusted against the Spirit, or you might say battles or is antagonistic, or is contrary to. Lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Because where the flesh wants to take you, the spirit doesn't want you to go. The spirit wants you to go with God. And the flesh wants you to go in a different direction. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. So there is a fight over here. Some of the things that you like to do, you cannot do. Or some things that you didn't like to do, you do. Uh, because of, of this contrariness. And so he's asking us then, what is the solution? He's giving us the solution in just a little bit. And he's saying, walk with the Spirit of God. We'll get to that in just a little bit. <clears throat> Verse 18. But if you be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. We don't have time to just teach on the whole thing. I just want to, the part that I want to emphasize is the flesh and the spirit and give you the picture of both and then ask you and invite you, hey, do it by the spirit. That is where I'm going this morning. So not an, an expository teaching of all the words that we're coming across, but an, a general teaching in the direction that I just explained to you. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. This is what the works of the flesh look like. They are manifested. They manifest themselves. They show up 
in this particular way. They show up like this. This is what it looks like. Adultery. It gives us a list of, I don't know, 17 or whatever. Uh, ugly, ugly, uh, an ugly list. I cannot think of an uglier list than this list. And then Paul says, and I'm not done with you. Because there's more, but I'm not giving you at all. Uh, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, there is more. I'm not even giving you the whole list. And such like. There is more that are like these things that I just mentioned to you. Now, let me ask you this. Is this an ugly list or what? Ugly. Murders. Revelings. Drunkenness. Uh, envying. Strife. This is the list. This is the whole list right over there. We'll go back to this listing just a little bit uh, toward the end so I can compare this list to the other list. Verse 22 says this. <clears throat> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. 23 says meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And then we go all the way through 25 that says 24 says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. That is where I'm going to try to zero in a little bit if we have time to talk a little bit about the opioid thing <clears throat> that God has a remedy if you, are, if you are with Him and if you want to do it His way. Uh, and then 25 says this, and it's not just opioid, that just comes to my mind because it is so obvious what the enemy is doing nationwide. And that's not the only thing he's doing, but this is the obvious one. Uh, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, then let's talk a little bit about the flesh. Because the flesh is the thing that causes us a lot of trouble. And when, when, when people are... Um, interested in doing the things of the flesh, they would never really admit it because they, 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 they don't go around, well, I just want to be fleshly. Now, some people admit it, uh, but they want to be fleshly maybe for the next 15 minutes because there has been a spat uh, in the house or there's been a spat at the business or a spat at work or whatever, wherever it might be. At, and they, they delight in being a, a little bit in the flesh. Let me be in the flesh for a little bit and enjoy that. <laughs> I can punch somebody out or something. Uh, so, uh, but otherwise, there is nothing good happening in the flesh. And so, but when somebody is going the flesh way, you lose. Is that list a list like, is a list for winners? Or is that a list for losers? You tell me. Thank you. Thank you. So, so if you go the flesh way, if you follow your flesh, this is the results. It's manifested in the list that we just read. 
And, but you say, but I'm not a murderer. Well, maybe, maybe not. I've seen people murder other people with words. And sometimes I wonder which one is worse. A knife or words? Well, you know, it depends on what kind of words. But, I mean, let me tell you this. You, you can hurt people with words plenty. Plenty. So, but when you go with the Spirit, you win. God is about you winning. You having victory in your life. Spiritual power to love people, to have joy in your life, to have peace in your life in the middle of all kinds of crazy things that are happening in this world. Yes? Are there crazy things that are happening? But God gives you peace in the midst of all of that. Would you, wouldn't you like that? Peace? When there's all kinds of stuff going around you and, and, and you have peace? Um, so, I'm reminded, if you go with Coach Flesh, you lose. If you go with Coach Spirit, you win. Now, let me ask you this. Just for an example. Have you ever watched a football team lose on television? Okay. Um, let me ask you this. What do the players look like when they know they have lost? So there is still three minutes left and they're way behind and there's no way they can catch up. And uh, what do they look like? Don't they look like something like this? Towel over their head. Some of them are even crying. They're distressed. They're defeated. They're down, downcast. And then, have you seen the winning team, the victorious team? What do they look like? Could somebody show me what they look like? Anybody? Oh, Kathy, you were showing us. There. Yeah. Do they sit or do they stand? And they stand and they're full of mischief because they're fixing to throw Gatorade on the coach. Well, this is the question that I have for you. And this is the last day of 2017. So this is sort of like a challenge a little bit for 2018. Which team, which football team, this one or this one, which one do you want to look like? Which one do you want your family to look like? Which one do you want your church to look like? Which one do you want your workplace to look like? <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? This is exactly what I'm saying. In life, you want to win. And if you go with the Spirit, this is what happens to you. You win. If you go with the flesh, that list, that is not a winning list. So, <clears throat> when somebody goes with the flesh and they center their lives around the flesh, are people doing that? There are plenty of them doing that. That's what Paul is, is, is arguing against and warning against. Don't do it. And he's talking to Christians. 
Christians are not exempt. If you go with the flesh, there's only one thing that's happening. There's defeat. If you go with the Spirit, there's victory. So, but when you go with the flesh and you center around the flesh, then what happens is there's a selfishness that comes across and you become like a self-centered person. There is nothing more miserable than a self-centered person. I thought maybe somebody gives me an amen, Rachel. I mean, I thought somebody, not you, not you, not you, somebody else. I, I don't know you, so I don't know if you're going to give me an amen or not. But I thought maybe Sherry gives me an amen or something. Amen. Uh, hey, thank you. <laughs> so, when you are centering your life around self, it's called self-centered. And this is my warning to you. <clears throat> when you see the word self somewhere, pay close attention it is likely not a good word. It is likely something that you don't want part of it. It is not always the case. That's why I use my words carefully. Likely. <clears throat> In the plane, they say, you know, when the, when the, 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 the pressure drops, the, the, the oxygen mask will drop down. If you are with a little child, they say, put the mask first on yourself and then on the child. Because when you're out, you can't have, even help your child. Okay? So they say, put it on you first, then help the child. So when, when the word self is used over there, it's in a more positive sense. But so I'm not saying that this is 100% true. But when the word self is used, pay attention. It is likely not something that you want to be part of. And when that is in combination with center, self and center, and that in combination, watch out now. Because self-centeredness is not good. And there are many people that are self-centered. There's a book out called The Purpose-Driven Life. Have you read The Purpose-Driven Life? You have? You have? Okay. They sold Rick, what is his name? Rick Warren sold millions of them. And in the first chapter, the first line First sentence of the book says, it is not about you. And that is the Christian life, pretty much. It is not about you. It is about you. And it is about you. And it is about you and you. From where I'm looking. And from where you're looking, it is about you and about you and about you. It is not about me. So, he said, but what about me? <laughs> well, you're on the wrong path. But, but never mind. I give you some grace. I give you some grace. What about me? God will take care of you, my brothers and sisters. The economy that he has put in place, that it is not about me, is what he put in place so that I can have victory in my life. It's just an upside down uh, uh, economy than the world. Well, it's just that simple. Somebody said, I heard that when I was a young Christian. I liked it so much. Somebody says, if you really want joy, put Jesus first, then others, then yourself. Joy. Put Jesus first, then others, then yourself. So, a self-centered person, it is 
It is anything but the other person. In a self-centered person, it is all about me. And all the stuff that happens with that. So I'm laying the, the groundwork for you, okay, a little bit. Uh, we're still on the flesh thing so, so far. Uh, and then, when somebody is self-centered, and you combine that with a little bit of unteachability, so that they're, they're not teachable. I don't know if that's a word. I just, if it's not a word, I just invented it. Unteachability, that you are not teachable. And you combine it with a little bit of blindness. They just don't want to see their mistakes because they're self-centered. And by golly, they can never make a mistake. And because they can never make a mistake, there's never a reason for them to apologize to anybody because what, what am I apologizing for? For their mistake? So this is the, the self-centered stuff that happens. And so can you imagine, let us just, let us just go to the idea of maybe two people. Two people. Let us maybe talk about a marriage. Because that, that makes it easier to explain instead of 50 people. So let us say in a marriage you have two people that are both self-centered. What do you think will happen? That's right. It's about... Exactly right, Karen. Exactly right. It's about me. And the other person, it's about me. I'm never wrong. I never have to apologize to you. As a matter of fact, you have to apologize to me. And the other person thinks the same way. So, when you have two people like that, you have a desperate situation. God wants to desperately change us so that we are not selfish and self-centered people. Remember that, brothers and sisters. If you find yourself to be self-centered and selfish, get away from that. There is no victory in that. Only misery. So, but then, no. Let's look at these two people. Let's just say a husband and a wife. And let us just say for a second that one of them decides, I've had enough of this. I do not want to be self-centered anymore. I want to uh, change. Remember, self-centered people think that the problem is outside of them. The problem is not inside of them. The problem is outside of them. But now somebody comes to their senses. They are sick and tired of their life going as it has been going. You know of people that are sick and tired of their lives the way it has been going? Okay. I know a bunch of those people. <clears throat> uh, this is, there's nothing bad. This is what self does. If you, let, if you go with the flesh, that is where you end up. It's, it, it, it just does. You don't have to do extra gymnastics to do that. You, you just get, end up over there. So now, now the, 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 the one, which one shall we say, Sherry, comes to his senses or her senses? The husband or the wife? The, oh, the wife came to her senses. Okay. Well, that's a good situation. I mean, actually, I was hoping you would say the husband because he's the one that's supposed to be leading in all this good stuff. But let us say, <laughs> the wife came to her senses. Okay, so now, the wife, what I want you to know, that if there is a situation where there is 
self-centeredness. If it is two people, one of them changes. There is hope. Let's, let's walk through that just a little bit. Let us say <clears throat> a husband and a wife. Okay, Sharice says the wife is changing. And she is changing and decides, I don't want to be self-centered anymore. I'm going with the things of God. I am going to change. I put myself under God, and God will change you. Is that true? If you put yourself under God, He will change you. You don't have to do any gymnastics for that. If you come under Him, He will start working on you and start changing you. And so, the wife now has made some progress. Is that right? So, we see there is already progress made. Yes? If one of them changes and is less selfish and is more other-oriented, there is progress. Is that true? Okay, thank you. I just want to be sure that we're on the same page. So now, in the case of this wife and this husband, the wife is changing. Is there any thought or idea in your mind that because she is changing, she is also looking at her husband a little bit different than before? Yes? Okay. So... And she is, because she is changing, she is not so selfish any longer, but she is now considerate of her husband. She's treating him a little bit nicer, gives him consideration, gives him a little respect, a little honor, is not so argumentative, is apologizing every once in a while. Every once in a while so far, she's not that far along yet. But <coughs> and, and so now, so... There is now, not only have I changed, or the wife has changed, as, as the wife, but I also see my husband a little bit differently. So that is now, I have made progress, and I have made progress in the treatment of my partner. Is that more progress? That's more progress. Now, then let me ask you this. Now, I have changed. I'm treating my partner differently with much more consideration and respect and honor and these type of things. Then, if I have a hope that he is going to change, is that of a hope with a, a basis, with a foundation? Because he has noticed how much nicer I treat him. So now there is hope that he will also change. But even if he doesn't change... I think this whole situation has, been cha has, has changed already for the better. But if he changes, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Now we're looking at a wonderful, victorious, joyful, wonderful marriage. Now we're looking at a victorious, wonderful family. Now we're looking at a victorious, jubilant, wonderful workplace. Now we're looking at a jubilant, victorious, wonderful church. Now we're looking at a joyful, jubilant Victorious, whatever. You see what I'm talking about? So, do not go with the flesh. Then let us look at the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. I actually want to give you a little bit more just to give you the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And let me just give you this other list because we're running out of time. Let me just give you this other list that says the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts 
of the Spirit. Let's just look at that list real quick. The fruit of the Spirit. Most scholars that I have read, that I have studied, uh, some of the, the Greek, the word fruit of the Spirit, that word fruit is singular. It is not fruits. Now you say, Pastor Kenny, you're playing with words. You just, no, I'm not playing with words because it makes a big difference whether it is one fruit or whether it is nine fruits, right? You follow what I'm saying? Because if it is one fruit, then to me, in my mind, it is like all those nine work as one unit. Are you with me? Whereas if there are nine different ones, different fruits, they work at nice, there's nine different ones. Are you with me? Are you following me? Okay. <clears throat> so that I'm afraid that I have to work by, by way of expression. Okay, just forgive me, by way of expression. Pastor, you don't have to work for this. It's the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. So, but just by for, for I say, sake of argument. So I'm afraid I'll have to work nine times harder when there's nine different fruit, than when there's just one fruit. It just works together. And it is great news for me because my life as a Christian is going to be more balanced when they all work together than when they work all separate and all in different directions. So that somebody is saying, when you are patient, a very patient person, but you have no joy at all, then this is impossible, they say. Because they work together. If you're very patient, there certainly will be a lot of joy in your life as well. And there will be a lot of love in your life as well. Because they work together. I just brought that to your attention because that's, that's what the, 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 the scholars are saying. Fruit. So the fruit, you get the whole package. You get all nine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You don't just get half of it. You get the whole package. It is singular. You get the whole package. And the gifts, you get only part of it. Nobody has all the gifts. You only get a few of the gifts. Okay? Are you with me? Are you following? Okay. So if you, if you have a question, just say you have a question. You get the one who birthed You get what the one who birthed you is. The one who birthed you, the Holy Spirit. You get what he is. And here you, he get, you get what he gives you. You get the one who birthed you. You get what the one birthed you, what he gives you. That, that, what he gives you. It, it is not complete. Over there. So uh, you remember that the Holy Spirit, he gives uh, spiritual gifts to believers. And he gives to the gifts to the believers as he is pleased to do it. You have no say whatsoever in it. Are you with me? Are you understand that? Okay. If someday we have to teach on the gifts of the Spirit, then we'll do it. So, and then here, the, the fruit, the fruit show maturity. Yes? Yes? Does that make sense? If somebody is a joyful, loving, patient, uh, a kind, gentle Christian, then 
you, you, you are thinking there is a, some maturity in this person. Yes? Somebody rips you and just kind to them. There's some maturity here. But the gifts, they just tell you that you have been reborn. They, the way the gifts themselves don't indicate maturity. The way you deal with your gifts shows maturity or not. Yes? When you're born again, the Holy Spirit gives you gifts right now. You're not mature. You're just a baby in Christ. But yet he's given you these gifts. Our thinking in many Christian circles is that people are more interested in the gifts than they are in the fruit. And most people think that when a believer has fallen, let me just give you, a, 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 is the gift of healing a spiritual gift? It's right there on the list in, in 1 Corinthians. Okay? So if somebody has the gift of healing, people would think that that person is a more mature gift, a more mature person than the person that has patience. And this is not true. The way the person deals with that gift of healing, that gives a maturity or not. Or that shows maturity or not. You can, have, you can be a three-year-old, three-year-old Christian and the Spirit of God has given you the gift of healing and you go around praying for people and they get healed and everybody thinks you are some mature person. This is not necessarily true. Not when you're three, three days old anyways. And then, then what happens is this is such a spectacular gift that people just go crazy and don't know how to, how to handle it. So, all right. Now let's look at verses... What are the verses? We look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> we look at... What are the verses? 22? 22. The fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> you, you, you have to... When you read, you have to... Pay close attention because when it says, see that even that little word over there, but, is significant in this text. Because it gives you, on the one hand, prior to the word but, it gives you the list of the, the works of the flesh. That they, they just do all kinds of damage in your life. But, the word but means, on the contrary, as opposed to what you first read. There is now a, how, how you call it, an, uh, a contrariness. There is now an, um, what is the, another word for it? There is an opposite. There is an opposite. Uh, it is cold, but I have a jacket. <laughs> You cannot say it is cold, but I don't have a jacket. No, it's cold, and I don't have a jacket. Well, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an opposite than what is expected. It is cold, so I'm going to freeze. No, but I have a jacket. <laughs> I'm not going to freeze. So the, 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 the works of the flesh were here, and they caused devastation. But the fruit of the Spirit is going to bring you life. So, and this is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering. Your Bible might say patience, and that is fine. But it is actually, the word 
long-suffering has a little bit different meaning, though an overlap with patience. Uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness, temperance. Let's look at them separately real quick, like, and then uh, we're, 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 uh, we'll be done. Love. So this love that it's talking about in the fruit of the Spirit, <clears throat> what is that? The love in the fruit of the Spirit is this agape love that we know that is characterized by sacrifice, huh? unselfish, dealing for the well-being and the welfare of the recipient of that love. Are you with me? Yes? So let me give it to you one more, one more time. Love, agape love, is produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer and is characterized by sacrifice and unselfish looking for the well-being and welfare of the person that you say that you are loving. So Raquel, if I say I love Raquel, that means I'm looking for her well-being and her welfare. Even if it costs me, I bring sacrifice to be able to do this. Are you with me? So, this is the characteristic of God's love. This is the God's love that we know. That he brought the sacrifice to express his love to us. He brought Jesus on the cross. who died on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven. He gave up his son because he loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God brought the sacrifice. And this is the kind of love that he wants us to have for one another as well. Love. Joy. Joy. Let me. I, I thought about some things over here. So let me, let me read it to you what I have. Joy is the inner state of the believing, of the believer, produced by the Holy Spirit, of the fact that in spite of bad circumstances, there is a lift a lift up in the believer that all is well in the economy of God. It is also an attitude that causes an outside expression of that joy in that outside expression of that joy that is in the inside. It is expressed in the rejoicing. Woo! Rejoice in the Lord! And again I say rejoice. Re rejoicing. You can have joy without rejoicing, but you cannot say you have joy if you never rejoice, if you never rejoice, you won't be able to act, uh, convince anybody that you have joy. Yes? Does that make sense? So, this is what the angel spoke of. He says, I bring you good tidings of great joy to all the people. I bring you good tidings of great joy. That word great joy, great there is mega. Mega. What does mega mean? Huge. I mean, enormous. Big. It's bigger than great joy or big joy or nice joy or whatever. Mega joy. And he says that's for all people. All people who want it. 
and are willing to come under God will get this mega joy. Joy. Uh, love, joy, peace. What is this peace? This peace is an inner tranquility, an inner calmness, even though on the outside everything might be hectic. This is a huge deal, my brothers and sisters, because often in life, things on the outside are hectic. Is this true? Not all the time, but often in life, things on the outside are hectic. Uh, you're struggling, you don't have enough money, you're struggling because you're sick, you're struggling because your kids are sick, you're struggling because your wife is sick or your husband is sick, you're struggling because your house is a mess, you're struggling because... Uh, your car is broken, you, and then never mind if there's a combination of some of these things. It's hectic, it's crazy. And yet, God, the Holy Spirit, if you yield to Him, will give you such a peace, such a tranquility, such a calmness, that the outside hecticness, I don't know if that's a word or not, doesn't matter, you understand what I'm saying, I'm just trying to communicate, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you have to just communicate. Uh, uh, so that the, the outside hectiness doesn't even have an, an influence on you. It, it, it doesn't bother you. It is not affecting you. It is not, well, there's a certain amount of assurance in that because there is, there is the idea that even though things are hectic out there, the peace that God gives you gives you the idea that things are okay after all. I belong to him. He's in charge of everything. So why would I have to panic? But if you go with the flesh, you'll panic. Anybody have anxiety attacks sometimes? Or have had some or whatever? You know, uh, uh, pe people do that. Uh, and it is not necessarily always because they didn't trust God. There might be just a chemical situation or whatever. I, I, I'm not going there, but I'm just saying that many times we are foregoing things that God has for us just because we don't look to Him for it. Uh, peace. Then you have long-suffering. <clears throat> long-suffering, that's I said, in some translations it's peace, but long-suffering is just a little bit different. Did uh, I say peace? I meant patience. In some translations it says patience, but patience has more the idea of, if you translate it patience, which here it is long-suffering, but patience has more the idea of that um, if you have to wait for something, it doesn't get you all perturbed and whatever. Uh, you have patience, and so you, you, you're, cool. you're cool. But long-suffering has a little bit of a different idea. Uh, let me just tell you what I think that most people think when they think about long-suffering. They're thinking that long-suffering <clears throat> is the ability that God gives you to suffer long and long and long. That is only partly true. But because of the virtue, because of the fruit of long-suffering, 
you don't actually suffer as long as that people meant for you to suffer. Because of the fruit of long-suffering. See, I see the question marks on your face. So I was right. You're thinking of long-suffering differently. Let me compare it to you with patience. When somebody has patience, even though they have to wait long, it is not that long to them because they have patience. Right? It's the same idea with long-suffering. If God gives you the fruit of long-suffering, which he does in the Holy Spirit, it means that when I mean to hurt you, Nelda, I, I, don't, I will never hurt you. You understand? This is just hypothetical, right? Okay. If I, if I mean to hurt her, and I want her to suffer, if she has the virtue and the fruit of long-suffering, it doesn't face her that much. Because she has this virtue. She can handle it much, more, much better. So the pain that I try to inflict on her doesn't have the effect that I, that I meant for it to have because she has long-suffering. Are you with me? So, it is, under, it is important that you understand what, what the scriptures are saying, because otherwise, you're thinking, long-suffering, who wants that? But the virtue is that you won't suffer quite as long, because you have the virtue of, and the fruit of long-suffering. Which is the next one is, uh, oh, let me give you this one. A guy named John MacArthur, who is a famous preacher, John MacArthur says long-suffering is being offended, Time and time again, having the power to retaliate, but never even thinking about it. Let me say it again, John MacArthur. Now, I might have missed a word, but otherwise it's a pretty much exact quote. <clears throat> that the, the idea that somebody is, is offending you time and time again. You having the ability and the power to retaliate. Like, for example, if I were your boss, Joe, and you offended me time and time again, and I have the power to nail you. Boom, you're gone. You're out of here. I, I fire you. And yet, I don't even think about it. I'm just going to work with Joe. I'm not going to fire him. I'm not even thinking about it. I have Joe's interest at heart, long-suffering. That the, I'm not easily offended by the offense that he was sending my way. And I'm, I'm working with him for the hope that one day I might be able to share Jesus with him in a credible way and he would receive Jesus. That's not what, what long-suffering means, but that this is just, i give you a little bit more of an, of an example of a practicality about it. Uh, then you have goodness. Uh, I'm sorry, long-suffering, gentleness. Uh, and the word gentleness over here, uh, there's an overlap over here with the word kindness, kindness, gentleness. Gentleness means that when somebody else would push you or punch you, there is a caress. And it's not a physical caress necessarily, but a, a, an attitude. That you, you're harsh in your attitude. But no, you are caressing in your attitude. You're gentle, gentleness. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, as I have in the past, that you show kindness wherever you are. The more, you know, when I ask my congregation to show kindness, I myself must show it too, right? Otherwise, why, why am I asking you? So I have discovered more and more so, my dear brothers and sisters, how kindness 
is a real spiritual power. But it's also very practical. Uh, just, uh, who was it that was telling this story? Oh, it was, it was actually on, on TV. Where this guy was saying that, you know, in, in, in weather like this and in times like this when so many people travel, there is a flight, uh, 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 airline flights that are canceled. People have to wait. Sometimes they have to wait two or three days in the same airport, whatever. And people get upset. And he said, just be kind. The people behind the counter, they have nothing to do with this. They don't control the flights. They just work the computer and just work the people. But they have a little bit of power. And he says, if you're kind, you might just get home that night. Happened to me. I came from Ghana. I mean, that's a long flight. To Ghana, I sleep fine. Coming back, for whatever reason. To Europe, I sleep fine. Coming back, for whatever reason, I don't sleep. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm awake. So, we get to Dallas. I'm getting home. We're sitting in the plane. The, 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 it's going. All of a sudden, well, there's a problem. And I looked at the people. Yeah, there is a problem. And, well, give us another 10 or 15 minutes, and we hope that the, the problem solved. I said to somebody, I don't think so. And they canceled the flight. So, when they canceled the flight, there was a Chinese lady sitting in front of me over there. Everybody, when they canceled the flight, went to their cell phones. But I didn't see her go to her cell phone. So I would say, you like my cell phone? You can, you can use my cell phone. And she says, oh, she doesn't speak a word of English. So I say, well, do you have a telephone number for me? That I'll call the people for you to let you know. Don't wait for her at the airport. She's not coming. They, they cancel the flight. And so, anyways, we're getting out of the plane. I, I told her, you stay with me. I'm going to take care of you. And so we're out there, and a, 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 a lady from the, the, the airline comes, and she's on her way home. She's out of there. She, she says, can I help you? I say, yes, ma'am. This lady needs some help. She, she, she doesn't speak a word of English. And if we don't take care of her, come with me, she says. So she, she drags the lady, and she puts her on the flight. So now we need to let the people in Corpus Christi know she's going to be whatever, an hour and a half, two hours later, right? So you have a number for me. No, this, this over here, uh, over there, over there, meant Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi. So I say, you have a number. So I call that number and say, hey, this person was in Atlanta. I say, you need to let the people in Corpus Christi know this lady is not getting there at 5 o'clock. She's getting there at 7 o'clock. Okay? I'm going about my business. And a little while, huh, couple, uh, some of you know... Uh, Susan Hicks, she knows the stories. <laughs> Susan Hicks is involved in foreign exchange students. So I'm seeing two, a, a boy and a girl, and I think they couldn't be more than 17 or 16 years old. And I'm, where are you from? Uh, well, I'm from Europe. Uh, we're going to be exchange students over here. But we missed our flight. And they say they cannot, be not get, on, cannot get on the flight. I say, come with me. So I take him to the counter, and I say to the, to the lady, ma'am, 
You cannot leave miners over here. You need to find them a place if you possibly can. Can you, can you help? Oh, yes. I see over here, sir, that they have traveled a long ways, and we're going to try to take care of her. I say, I say to him, hey, do you know Susan Hicks? Oh, yeah, they get in the pocket. Susan Hicks. Yeah, Susan Hicks. Here's her card. I say, Susan. I call Susan. Susan, hey, they're not coming home at, seven, at 5 o'clock. They, they won't, won't be home till 7 o'clock. Let your people know not to pick them up at 5 o'clock. And, and when I go back to the counter, I say, she says to me, yes, sir, I see that the, these young people from, from Germany, and there was also one from Poland, I found out later, these two young people from Germany, they have traveled a long ways. I put some two cents in for, for me too, and I say, I have also traveled a long ways. She says, I see it, sir. You came from Ghana. I say, yes. But no, no worries, no worries. I had already made up my mind. I was not going home that night. And that would be fine. No problem. But I couldn't let the Chinese lady be on her own. Nor could I have those two young people that maybe are traveling for the first time be on their own. Certainly somebody has to help her. And a little while, the lady from behind the counter calls me. She says, sir, come over here. And I go to the counter. And she says to me, just be quiet about this. There's one seat open. You're going home tonight. I told you a long story just to tell you that just be kind, my brothers and sisters. It is not only an opportunity for the kingdom, but it's also practical in relationship with people. Believe me. It makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Okay. Uh, uh, goodness, uh, quickly, goodness has to do with the idea of someone who is truly good and righteous. So that when somebody says he is a good man, this goodness means a whole lot more than when somebody says it's a good man. This is a righteous man. He is motivated strictly by goodness. Strictly by goodness. Uh, faith, this, the word faith over here is really... Not the best translation. The, the, the meaning of the word over here has more to do with faithfulness than with faith. Now, the Spirit of God gives you also faith. All right? But here in this list, it means faithfulness. That means there's a, there is a fidelity. There is a loyalty in somebody's life concerning uh, other people, especially a fidelity and a faithfulness to God. Uh, meekness uh, has the idea here. In other places, it has the idea of uh, power under control. But here it has the idea, again, of kindness and gentleness mixed in there with, with meekness. And then self-control is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That which the Holy Spirit uh, 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 produces in you, that you choose the ways of the Lord. That you say to this self stuff over here, you're not going there. You're going there. I'm not taking any more of these opioids. I'm done. <clears throat> Would you give me verse 24? Uh, and that they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If you belong to Jesus Christ, my dear brothers and sisters, just give me a little bit more time. Just a little bit. I won't be long. I promise you. You have crucified, 
crucified means you have put them to death. They, you're, before you were a Christian, your lower nature, your flesh, dominated you. The Bible says in Romans 5.21, you can go look it up if you want to. Uh, and if you study that a little bit, you see what I'm talking about. It, it has to do with that your lower nature, before you were a Christian, it, it, it ruled over you like a king over a country. It ruled over you. But in Christ, when you came to Christ, that lower nature was put to death. I should say, rather, its rulership was put to death. So that now, it doesn't get to rule over you anymore. You get to rule over it. Are you with me? So when it comes to these crazy things of, being, of craving this and craving that, it is because your lower nature tells you so. But the power of God in the resurrection trumps that. But my dear brothers and sisters, I don't have a formula for you. It is strictly by faith that you trust God, that God will do this for you. It is not just because you know it. It is because you trust God for it that God will set you free because He has already done it in Christ. Because when you receive Jesus Christ, you identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which means in the death, your flesh or the rulership of your flesh was put to death. But remember, in the scriptures when it speaks about death, it doesn't speak about extinction. It doesn't speak about it ceases to exist. When it speaks about death, it speaks about separation. When you die physically, your body and your spirit are separated. When you die spiritually, you are separated from God. You don't cease to exist. You're just separated from God. You get to exist in a whole other place. See, separation. So when the rulership of your flesh has died with Christ, it is that it is still there, but there's no more ruler over you unless you voluntarily come back underneath it. Are you with me? I want you to know this more than anything else. Uh, so that you can have victory. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. 25. If we live in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is in us, and we live by what He dictates, then Paul is asking us, walk accordingly. Walk in the Spirit. The word walk over there has to do with a straight line. Our middle son always walked a straight line. It doesn't make him better than anybody else. But that's who he was. That's what he did. And the oldest and the youngest, they went all over the place and are now walking a straight line as well. So, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is my invitation to you for 2018. Happy New Year.